Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. We're just about there. I'm going to say it again. I think my leg is wet, so y'all forgive me. I did have waiters on in there in the baptistry, but it got wet still. Amen. I got baptized. Amen. Uh, but Merry Christmas, everybody. Awesome. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad you're in the house. Those watching online, thank you for tuning in. I know we've greeted you already, but again, we want to keep that connection. Uh, just saying thanks for tuning in and taking the time to join us online. So whether online or on land, uh, we're grateful for you. Okay. And so uh, 2020 again, I mean, you know, I was listening to the radio the other day and they were actually, what's, what's the word for 2020? What's been the dominant word for 2020, right? And it had all these different words. Um, um, but what's interesting, the word unprecedented. Like we've used that. How many of y'all use that? Anybody in the house? Okay. Three. Amen. So I guess it's not that much of a, maybe not in the woodlands. Amen. So, but, um, but unprecedented. We have lived in some serious unprecedented times. I mean, this is on all fronts in all ways. Uh, COVID, this pandemic has challenged us in so many different ways. Okay. So whether um, obviously health reasons, uh, when it comes to work, um, just our own personal, mental, uh, just the totality of life, it is really begun to knock at the door at all fronts. Even within our own house, in other words, right here in Crossroads, our dear friend Rocky, our pastor, um, has uh, you know, been affected by COVID. It's about a week or so ago. And so, um, you know, not Robin and her family, but Whitney, Sue, um, you know, little Asher and little Tia, they've all, they all contracted it as well. And so it's been a rough bout. He's doing fine. He sent me a text a little while ago. Still a little bit the same. They're just trying to monitor the situation. He's good. He texts me right back. I mean, he's alert. Uh, so we, we want to pray this morning. I did it in the first hour. Uh, it was a little different. I think it caught people off guard. Um, but I like, new, I like new stuff. Amen. I like doing something. I like to be a little unconventional in this regard. We're going to pray out loud in unison. And it may sound like a whole bunch, whole bunch of jibber-jabbish, right? But, but we're really, we're praying, and God knows specifically every single thing that's coming from your mouth, he knows exactly how to receive it, articulate it, um, and then respond according to his timing and his will. And then what I'm going to do, I'm going to come back after about a couple minutes, maybe a minute or so, um, and then I'll close this. But let's lift up Rocky. Let's lift up Sue. And by the way, Sue, um, Whitney, Eric, Tia, and Asher, they're all good on the up and up. Rocky's just having a tough bout, Okay. And so we want to pray for him. Y'all okay with that as the church? Yeah. Amen. So let's pray. One, two, three. Start praying, saints, out loud. Come on. Lord, we know that you're the great physician. We also know, Lord, that you are with us. That's what this whole season is about. Emmanuel, God with us. And we thank you that as a church body this morning, um, that we don't necessarily need to pray, God, that you be with Rocky because you're already with him. 
So we thank you for that truth. We thank you for the soundness of what that means in all of our lives personally, but specifically, oh God, for Rocky right now, being in a hospital right now and um, soon not being able to be next to him. Thank you for some people here at the church that that are actually nurses at this particular facility and we're able to get in and pray with them and fellowship with them a little bit. So we thank you for even that. But Lord, we pray for healing. We pray that you'll heal Rocky, even starting today, Master, that you'll even begin to touch his body in a special way, uh, that he'll begin to sense uh, relief, um, being able to breathe and all these different deals. We pray that this COVID affection will subside um, today and in the days ahead. We also pray, Lord, that you'll grant him hope and peace. We pray that you'll be his comfort. And this time, you'll be that same thing for Sue and the rest of the family, hope, peace, and also joy. I pray that even as he's there laying in the bed and just processing things and probably watching shows that he doesn't even like, I pray, oh God, that um, you allow him even to be a light to those that come in to administer help to him, that they will see the goodness of your grace, they will see your mercy, they will just sense your presence, so much so that they will even ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Because Lord, even in this moment, this is not beyond you. This is not greater than you. This hasn't caught you off guard. And so, Lord, that's what we're doing corporately and collectively this morning. As a body of believers, as your sons and daughters, we're asking you to step in. Heal your servant. That he can continue to do what you've called him to do. To be a great husband, a great father, a great grandfather, and phenomenal pastor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in this season, guys, together. This is a, a new series. This is a new season. Obviously, I mean, Christmas has brought about some interesting longings, like this whole deal. As a matter of fact, this is what I mean. Um, people started decorating their houses in October. Did y'all notice that, anybody? Like this sense of, like, we got to get out of 2020. Everybody with me? Anybody with me there? Like, we got to get out of here, right? So what I mean by that is, I haven't had any conversations with anybody that said, you know what, pretty much, I want to just hang on to 2020 just a little bit longer, right? So let's just, let's, let me in 2020, we've been good. We want, I want to roll with 2020 for another six months. Anybody in the house, anybody? Nobody. And what I've also discovered is this, is that hope, I was talking to the pastors, hope has, has seeped out of the lives of many people, especially within the church. So when hope is gone, we, become, we really begin to make our own narratives. We begin to look inside. We begin to look to the left and to the right. We begin to process differently. We begin to look through a different grid. And so I've been praying this, is that God, will you, will you bring about fresh, fresh hope again? And that's what this entire season is all about. You will not see me in many flannels, amen. So this is hope, amen. <laughs> but hope, this is what it's about. Jesus coming. It's also about great things, whether the great smells, family, traditions, the smell of Christmas. For the first time, our family, we went and cut down a tree. I was scared as all get out. I was like, I hope I can cut this thing down, but the, the trunk was smaller. I was like, I can do this. I can do this. Amen. So I thought it was like the big, you know, I thought it was going to be like John Bunyan and stuff. Somebody on the other side. Anyway, it worked out. Amen. I have girls. I got to gotta look strong to my baby girls. Amen. So, but with that said, tradition, it's the first time this year. But what about movies? Okay, so you got uh, uh, Lampoon's, Christian, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, playing like 10 times a day on TBS over and over again in the same vein. What about the, the movie Elves, right? Elf. Anybody, know, anybody like that movie? 
right? The favorite scene when he's on the elevator, he presses all the buttons and he goes, Christmas tree, right? It's so great, right? But Elf, okay, Elf, what about the Christmas story? I remember that one growing up, man, the Christmas story and Home Alone. And so this whole season, Advent season, is really this. Y'all know this, anticipation of the coming of Christ, but it also, catch me say this, it's also the possibility of someone coming to Christ for the first time. The Advent season is this. It's the coming of the Messiah. It's God wrapping himself in flesh, and we're going to see this in Isaiah 9. But also it's the possibility, ah, for the first time, maybe for somebody to come to meet him at the manger for the first time. Our context in Isaiah chapter 9 is very complex. I want to take about four minutes to explain it, and then we'll dive into the text, have two thoughts. But on the back end, I just want to walk you all through this, give you some scaffolding. On the back end, I want to walk through all the names that are given to Jesus um, in the latter portions of verse, um, let's see, uh, six and seven of this chapter. So the context is this. King Ahaz, he's king of God's people, right? Any scholars in the room, y'all know that. He is the, um, he's the king, and uh, I mean, he's doing well for a little bit, but then Assyria begins to rise up. Another nation begin to rise up, taking dominance and power and um, just the whole gamut of what it means to really reign in power. So Assyria is rising up. Other nations are going, hey, King, Assyria, um, King Ahaz, why don't you in Israel, you guys, why don't you all join with us and we can have this big allegiance and we can fight against Assyria if they try to pounce us. So we can have all these different alliances and allegiances and we can join together, be on team together. It's really the context. And so Ahaz was like, eh, I don't know. I really don't like that. Um, but, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Have you, ever felt, have you ever found yourself trying to help God out? Have you ever found yourself in life trying to help God out? We see this a lot throughout scriptures. You do biblical theology, you see it a lot. Biblical people within the context of biblical stories trying to help God out. So King Ahaz says, well, I don't like that. And so um, he, he, he joins allegiance. There's great compromise, so much so that he, he joins and he takes Israel down a road that they didn't want to go down to where they started worshiping idols. It was a dark place. This is our context. But it's funny, before we get there, there are 322 prophecies specifically dealing with Jesus's birth in the Old Testament. Do your research, go back and check it out for yourself. It's phenomenal. Do you know the CIA? The CIA, they have six layers of criteria to make sure that someone is legitimately who they say they are. Here's what I mean. So if somebody was actually coming to meet the CIA or whatever the case may be, they will say, okay, we want you to go to this region and you'll see this tree, but they'll have somebody there that, will, that can validate the fact that this person showed up to see this tree and that they're in this place. So they go, okay, that's layer one. Layer two, we want you to walk up to the tree and tear off some bark. And when you're done with that bark, we want you to bring that bark, that tree bark back to this specific location. And so there's six different layers. And at the sixth one, they will know, who is they? The CIA will know that this person was legit. Six layers. To process the validity of who this person is. I'm glad this morning that the Lord had 322. And every single one, saints, students, every single one, uh, senior adults in a room, married, young married, divorced, every single one was fulfilled. Every single one. And this is our context. King Ahaz, he gets a word from Isaiah, the prophet, and he's shaking in his boots. Can y'all see him? He's shaking. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 says this. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Now, I'll explain what all this means in just a little bit. 
In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and then the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. By the way, just caveat thought in your Bibles if you want to write this here. Jesus quotes this exact text, this exact verse in Matthew 4 and 16. This exact verse right here. He goes on to say this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Interesting. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as if, as with joy at the harvest. Okay, a time when feast and all that good stuff was happening and harvest, if you will, and there was a great celebration. He's saying, he's saying in essence, this is what's taking place now. As they are glad when they divide the spoil, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of, for his shoulder, for the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian, a battle. For every boot of the, check this out. How about this for a Christmas intro? For every boot of the trampling, um, trampling warrior in battle, tumult, he says, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So that's just, Verses one through five, you say, Marcus, what does it have to do with the verse that's so familiar to us, right? Right, for to us, a child is born, a son is given. What does that have to do with anything? Here's what it has to do with, you ready? But God. Had it not been for God. Chapter eight, just a couple verses before this, it says that they will pass through, who is they? God's people. Assyria was getting ready to invade them, but they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged. Uh-oh. So in other words, we came up with this word hangry. It's right here in the Bible. They're going to be hangry. Have you ever, we all respond differently without sleep, without food. I mean, here it is. We see even in chapter, I'm joking around here a little bit, but it's true. They were hangry. Given into the king's orders to align themselves with other nations, not trusting the Lord. They find themselves in a very horrible predicament. And this is our text starting in chapter 9 and verse 1, but God. Had it not been for God, but the text says in verse 1, but you ought to circle that. This is revolutionary. Hear me say this, saints, Bible students in a room. This means it's a conjunction. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Amen. But it also means that what was said previously, what's getting ready to be said has greater weight and impact and worth. So in essence, he's going to say this, that now I know that you guys have journeyed through this dark place. I know that your king is acting a straight fool. I know that you're being perplexed on all sides and pressed, but. And the language he uses is all past tense verbs. Now, even in Hebrew, this is what it means. I want y'all to stay with me real quick. Notice the language. But there will be no gloom. It's as if the Lord is saying, y'all know this in in Romans, the Romans wrote, he says, well, hey, for all have fallen short of the glory of God, but what? But the gift of God is the eternal life in Jesus Christ. These conjunctions. But, but, and I would say this, had it not been for the Lord, but had it not been for the Lord, where would we be? But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In other words, there will be no gloom, but their current gloom now. So just, you got you to read the text with attitude. You got to see what's going on in light of our great prophecy of Jesus coming. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land, right? 
And he goes on, jump down to verse uh, two. The people who walked, there it is. You can actually underline walked. The people who walked in darkness have seen a light. So they walked past tense in darkness, but they present tense, he's saying they've seen a light. So what are you saying? I can imagine King Ahaz hearing this from Isaiah going, um, I don't know if this is really making any sense. Those online, is this making any sense? He goes on to saying, those who dwelt past tense in a land of deep darkness, on them has light, has light shone. So what are you saying, Marcus? I'm saying this. The King Ahaz and God's people were thinking in our passage today, what many of us are asking still today, Lord, how long? Lord, when? Like when? When? I don't know what when, what you're asking or what you're longing for from God, but when? When will this, whatever this is, when will it happen? Maybe not verbally, but in our actions we do so, right? So we see this. It's God's promises. This is hinged upon God's promises. John Wesley said this, the future is as bright as the promises of God. The future, your future, my future, as believers for the church, Our future, the future for the church, is only as bright as the promises of God. And we see this, that the Lord started using all these past tense, and there's tension in the text, guys. This is 700 years before this prophecy would even come to light. 700 years. And here, the writer Isaiah is writing as if it has already already happened. You go, why is this the case? Help me understand this. Well, Isaiah knew something that we ought to be wrestling and wrestling and resting in today. Isaiah writes as if it already is already done. Isaiah knew this, that if God said it, then it's going to happen. That if God said it, now stay with me, if God said this, this actual right here, verse 2 all the way to verse 5, all these crazy things is going to happen past tense, even though they haven't happened present tense. King Ahaz hears it from the, the, the actual um, prophet. They hadn't happened, but he writes this as if, you know what? God, you spoke it. I know that thing going to happen. I mean, it's going to happen. So in other words, it's just all about God. It's his timing, right? You see, the promises, the promise, whatever promise in scripture is only as good as the legitimacy, excuse me, of the promise. So in other words, it's only as valid as the promiser. So if the promiser is legit, then a promise, the promise is legit, then a promiser must be legit. So here's what I want to point out the rest of this. You ready for this? This also highlights the darkness of the sin of our lives. The backdrop is really, really dark. They've gone into deep um, compromise, idolatry worship, and this is the crust. This is the, the foundation on this, this great text that we always hear. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. This is the crust by which God is going to make his majestic pie called salvation. But we have to look at the bad news first. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, hey, um, you want to hear the bad news or good news? What do you normally say? Right? And somebody at the first hour said, good news. I'm like, man, you are, you are one in a million, right? I mean, I normally want to hear bad news first. Let me get the bad news, stomach the bad news, process the bad news, and then hook your boy up with some good news. Amen, right? So in order for us to really appreciate, stay with me, for order, in order for us to really appreciate this text that's, that we're getting ready to walk into, for, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, for us to really appreciate that, we have to look at the bad news. The bad news is this, saints, and this is really what this whole season is about. It's, it's really about this. You know, it's not about what you get under the tree. 
to some degree for some of us, we, we very commercialize, if you will, um, Christmas. It's not the real meaning. Really, the meaning is this, that God had to do it, that we couldn't do it, saints. The writer in Ephesians says this, in Ephesians 4, he says, now this is, this is the bad news, right? And, 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 and route to getting to the good news. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. This is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. Great theologians believe it's not just one particular church, but many churches in a region called Ephesus. He says, now this I say and testify to you in the Lord, he says, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Notice the progression, the futility of their minds, that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, um, to practice every kind of impurity. But look at verse 20, if y'all got this, it says, but. Like in regards to all this stuff here, but. The contrast is, had God not stepped in. Let me say this real quick to you guys, because some of us, we're too holy uh, for the Lord. Let me say this, had God not stepped in in your situation, where would you be? Had it not been for the Lord stepping in in some cases, maybe even preventing you from some things that you couldn't even see, had it not been for the Lord, but the conjunctions of buts in the scripture, they're serious. The God's promises hinges on this, this, actual, this actual conjunction. And so, but, he says, but, so it's God's timing, really. It's the gospel. So here's the gospel. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we would ever dare to believe, saints, this is the gospel. Like, don't play with sin. Sin doesn't play fair. It's not cute. Um, I once said this in another sermon. It's not like my mom used to say, don't hang with so-and-so down the street. Like, don't hang with that bad kid because he's going to rub off on you. It's not like that. Man, we ought to look at sin as like a, a deranged serial killer. Don't mess around with it. So we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare to believe. I'm a good person. I come from a good family. I've established so much good stuff, quote unquote. I'm good. I'm good. I can do this. No. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we'll ever dare to hope. That's the truth of the gospel. We can say it in four, four words. You ready? Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. And this is the context we're in right here in, the, in Isaiah. This is the, the whole plight. He's saying, though it hadn't happened yet, King Ahaz, Isaiah is giving you a word. You have my word. You can trust my word. So therefore, even though you can't see it right now, it's going to happen. Jesus in my place. And so, but we do the same thing that King Ahaz do in our current day situation. You know what we do? In the present, we forfeit God's presence. This is what King Ahaz did. He had God's word, so he had everything he needed. The presence of God's word. But what we do is we, will, we forfeit God's presence in, in the present. So what happens is this, is we, we look at God's timing a lot differently. It's God's timing. Ahaz wanted, he wasn't content in trusting the Lord. He didn't want to wait on God. He wanted to make allegiance. He thought he could just help God out, all that good stuff. There's a danger in this, this text. You ready for this? It's not as if in the church, sometimes I, I see this a lot. It's not as if we reject God completely, but we definitely replace him. It's not as if we reject him completely, but we definitely replace the Lord in our lives. And I'm going to tell you this. Um, 2020 has definitely revealed that. That's why God has had to strip some stuff back from, from us. 
If you don't think that's true, you've, you've had this, this thought at some point in your life, especially in 2020, going, hey, man, I, I didn't need, man, God, sorry, man, forgive me for putting whatever this may be in front of you. Well, what we do is naturally we replace, and this is what King Ahaz was going to do, replace God, remove him from, from his rightful place, and then try to put something else there. That's the tension in the text. Well, it's this, you know what? God's timing doesn't work like we want it to work. It never does. Never. Can you imagine if God gave us everything we asked for right in that moment? We will be some ungrateful little jokers. Spoiled brats. Can you imagine? Like everything, like everything. I'm thankful that God gives us suffering. I'm thankful that God gives us the room of waiting. I'm thankful God allows pain. I'm thankful God allows, allows certain circumstances to happen in our lives. Why? Because it keeps you and I humble. But not only that, not only does it keep us humble, but it also reveals things in our own lives. Not only does it do that, do that but it also it, uh, it aligns our allegiance and our heart again, once again, back to the Lord. But not only that also, but it also gives us a testimony. Can you imagine if you never had any pain or any heartache or, or hiccups in life? What story do you have to tell? We don't have a story to tell. So in essence, in all of this, we see in pain, in waiting, in hardship, God gives you and I a story to tell. And this is the backdrop. But King Ahaz was going to miss that. You see, God's grace virtually never operates on our time frame, on our schedule that we consider reasonable. It never does. You see, as believers, where our waiting is not based upon theoretical assumptions, it's based on theological assurance. That's what you, I mean, this is, the, this is the text that we have right here. It's even though, King Ahaz, I know you, it's 700 years, even though you can rest on this, you can take it to the bank. If God said it, saints, hear me say this, it will come to pass because it's on him, it's not on us. Amen. And this is the context, you ready for this? But, but God, the second thought is this, then what, what child is this then that you speak of? Verse six says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Let me just stay there real quick. Our old house in North Carolina, it was a two-story. And so downstairs was a, uh, was a playroom, right? Playroom, three daughters. Man, all ladies in the house. Everything, I have, everything in our house is pink. Y'all got to pray for me. Amen. I mean, Barbie dolls. I mean, just stepping on Barbie. Barbie shoe in the middle of the night. You know, I'm just, I mean, it's, it's, I'm serious. This is real. This is real. Y'all don't laugh. It's real. You see me online? This is real stuff, man. I mean, it's, so downstairs, my wife and I would be upstairs. Our girls are down there. Man, all three playing. And you can hear some grumblings and some, some rumblings going on. It's all toys, right, by the way. So I call it a little personal little she shed. Amen. Their own little she shed downstairs. So we'll be upstairs. We can hear grumblings. And then I'll say something like this. Just, you hear fighting and cat fight. You know, just all that stuff, right? With the girls. And I'll say something like this. Girls, share the toys. Uh, let her go first. Uh, take turns. Revolutionary thoughts, right? Just revolutionary. I mean, just like, you know, like, this is like groundbreaking, okay? But my wife and I will keep talking and we'll be doing something, whatever the case may be, and, and we'll let time progress and we still hear, just still, like, they're still going at it. So, they couldn't fix it on their own. Even though they had my word and advice. So my word had to become flesh. 
See, you got it. There it is. Y'all got it. I had to come down. In other words, before I came down, I said this. Girls, don't make me come what? Don't make me come down there. Isn't this the season? That we couldn't fix it? Stay with me. Don't, don't be too religious on me. That we could not fix this thing called sin. And God said, man, I have to come down to make it right. Otherwise, we would just be catfighting all day long. And the Bible declares this, that he came at the right time so that we wouldn't destroy ourselves. Well, the Bible says, for to us a child is born. You see God's method, humility, being born a child. Have you ever thought about that? See, we romanticize, again, Christmas, and we um, commercialize it. But think about Jesus being born a baby. I've always, this has always perplexed me. Like his method to redeem you and I. I mean, again, he could have just stood from upstairs on the balconies of heaven and said, get it together. I'm going to hook you all up with a couple of angels and I'm going to put you all in some circumstances to make it all happen and work out. But no, 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 no. He came, he came through 42 generations to be born in a manger. And by the way, it wasn't the mangers we see in our nativity scenes. This was literally a, a trough, a feeding trough with feces and, and nasty insects around. The same God who spoke everything into existence. I mean, stay with me here. He's born and after so many years of silence, it's broken by a baby's cry. But not only that, the same finger that will reach up and grab Mary's hands is the same finger that created the stars and, and that says, screw the stars in their fiery sockets by night. This, this is the, the humility and the infinite um, patience of our God. That this is the method in which he will take to redeem you and me and those we love. And we see this for, the, for a, child is, a child is born. Placing this place with thorns and uh, with straw, poking him in the back and I mean, that wasn't a real, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, but that wasn't clothes of glory. It was a sacrifice from the beginning. A son is given, God's unique son, like no other. There was no one like this. Jesus had to be born. We were so bad that he had to do it, but yet so loved, he wanted to do it. He had to be born, why? So that he can be our redeemer. He went through everything we went through, as the Bible declares, yet without sin, to be your redeemer and my redeemer. So it's like, I man, really, it's like Jesus is the selfie of God. Have you ever thought about this? We're in a culture of selfies. Everything is selfies. Everybody taking selfies, right? Some of y'all took a selfie today, right? I'm going to church. I ain't been in church a long time, right? I'm at church, right? You wouldn't say that in the memo, but you, you know, y'all get what I'm saying. So, but the point is, selfies, selfies. We live in a very selfie, selfie culture. <laughs> Do you know that when people take selfies or pictures, it's not the first picture, that they use. Normally, it's, they've taken like 10 to 12. Y'all know that, right? Like, oh, that don't look good, right? Let me look at another picture. Let me take another one. You know, we go on. Why? Because we, we just, and then when we find that picture, maybe 10 or 12, we put a filter on it. Right? We try to, ooh, how's this one look? How's this one look? Ooh, this one look real good. Ooh, this one brings out my eyeballs, right? All this, ooh, this is good. We bring all these, we do all this stuff with filters. I'm glad. Stay with me here, saints. I'm so glad that Jesus is the selfie of God, but yet he's without any filters. Hear me say this. Hear me say this. Jesus, when he walked on uh, the, the land on this side, he would say this, that when you see me, you see what? You see the father. 
without filters. You see my love for you. This is really, I am uh, a demonstration, if you will, of God's heart for you. I'm here so that you can see the Father's heart. So therefore, you see me, you see his love. Don't get it twisted. You see me, you see my compassion. You see me, you see my mercy. You see me, you see the Father's grace. You see me, you see his love for you. Saints, trust me, hear me say this. Don't get it twisted. Jesus is the selfie of God. Ah, well, the Bible says that son is born. It's funny because Jesus will become something that he, he had never been before, but yet not given up who he had always been. Becoming a human, but not giving up his deity. I love theology. I wish we had time to talk about the hypostatic union and all that good stuff, but it's a very unique thing. So much so that he would have some names given to him that only could be ascribed to him. And the text goes on and tells us that. For to us, a child is born. God's method, a child is born. To us, a son is given. God's means. And the government, government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. You ready for this? Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. You know, I've sang these songs over the years. In song, and be like, oh, you just, you just get wrapped up in Christmas. Am I the only one, guys? You get wrapped up and you just will blow past these names and not really think about what they actually mean. Not just to the people in the manger scenes or in Bible times, but even think about what King Ahaz. King Ahaz and God's people hearing this right now, he's going, man, that's good, wonderful counsel, but what about right now? Remember, this is 700 years before it actually takes place. I mean, mighty God, that's cool, but, but I'm not sure if he can come through. Everlasting Father... Prince of Peace, you see, let me just take time to walk through these. The government shall be upon his shoulder, current context, that he can handle Assyria. Roman, once he hits the scenes, when the Roman Empire was ruling, he will, get, he will deal with them. But only that, even in times, eschatology, that he's going to reign and rule forever. Let me ask you this question too. A lot of times we actually treat Jesus like he's still a baby. I know sometimes, I mean, you may say, Marcus, I don't go through my life and just, I don't envision Jesus as a baby as I'm journeying like in February, March, April, right? Especially during Easter, he's risen. We understand that. But we treat Jesus, stay with me, as if he's still a baby. Here's what I mean. With a baby, you can tell a baby what to wear. You can tell a baby what to eat. You can pretty much tell a baby where a baby cannot go and can go. I remember my wife and I, this is good parenting, by the way. We had our first child, and she would fall asleep in a car seat on the way home, and we walked in. We would be very careful. We didn't want that baby to wake up for nothing, right? Sarai. And so we'll, it's that one board. Have y'all ever had that one board? It never made a noise ever, but then now I want to make a noise, and I can't stand that. So here you're going, you're going, I'm going, and I set that little thing down, and I'm back out there, y'all see me? And I close the door real quietly. I'm telling her where she's going to stay for the night. And by the way, I'm thinking, I'm not going to go in there, and, by the way, this is real truth. We would, if she slept good enough and stayed in there all night in the car seat, praise be to God, amen, Right? I'm serious. Some of y'all parents, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, man, just, just keep them little eyeballs closed, right? Don't you move. But here it is. Sometimes what we do, intellectually, we'll still 
and then we'll practice it theologically. We'll treat Jesus still like he's a baby. And so we have this dichotomized theology within ourselves and in the church. It's as if, man, hey, Lord, I know it's like the innkeeper. There's no room here. My wife and I, we saw a sign the other day and I was blown away. Like, again, it refreshed, refreshed in regards to what this season really means. Have you ever just asked yourself this question like, have I shunned Jesus out of some rooms in my life? What rooms does Jesus desire to dwell in in your life? Up top? Here on the floor? All of them. But we know this. He's a God of grace. He's going to allow us to get there, but we got to start somewhere. And so the point is this, is that he's a wonderful counselor. The root word is this. My little helmet, my little thing messing up here. Stay with me here. The root word is this. It comes from wonderful. It is used to describe the miracles which God performed in Egypt. Namely, the dividing of the sea, the safe crossing of the Red Sea, the leading by pillar or cloud and fire. It's his whole guidance. You see the glory of who he is and what he has done? You and I, when we see this, we should never look at Jesus and, and really know him. We can never really look at him and know him and say that God is boring. We can never truly look at saints. Stay with me. You can never truly look at all that Jesus has done and everything that has taken place and say, I'm bored. No, he is wonderful. Amen. That's what this season is about, to, to rekinder, if you will, re, reflame the coals of your heart to see the wonder, if you will, of his goodness. He's a mighty God. He's omnipotent. He is able to bring joy and gladness and transform gloom and anguish into joy. I've seen it. Being in God's presence so much so when I laugh when there's nothing funny. Come on, go with me, saints. I could cry when there's nothing really to cry about. God's goodness, he's mighty to do the unexplainable. And by the way, Jesus is the superhero of all superheroes. He's the mighty one. He delivers us from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. But when he comes back, riding on that white horse, tatted up with King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his thigh, with a sword coming out of his mouth, he will finally and forever release us and free us from the presence of sin. Amen. This is the king in whom we worship. This is it. So a lot of times we get enamored with the Bible story about, oh, for uh, just, just the kiddie story. It's great. Hear me say this. But Jesus is alive and well. And he's coming back. He's coming back. He's the everlasting father. Goes on to say, he's the everlasting father. Okay, I can see King Ahaz going, okay, cool. What does that mean? Well, King Ahaz, let me school you. In the Hebrew, the phrase is literally the father of eternity. He's the father of eternity. In essence, it means this, and we're almost done. This speaks of the purpose of his coming. How patient God is. In eternity past, God had it figured out. In eternity past, God had a plan. Even when we were going to drop the ball in Genesis 3, God had a plan. He's the father of eternity. It speaks of the purpose of his coming. He is before, above, and beyond time. In other words, he is the possessor of eternity. He is eternally like a father to his people. And that's what Jesus was going to articulate and show when we give our lives to him. That everything that we experience, the goodness of God, we experience it because of the goodness of Jesus and the greatness of the cross. He's an everlasting father, but then he's the prince of peace. He's a prince of peace. Every human heart. And you think about it, you think about Christmas, we're longing for something. Well, give me this new shave or razor. Give me these new shoes. What do you want? Have you ever found yourself, we're almost done, have you ever found yourself not really knowing what to get for Christmas? 
especially the older you get, you don't want much. You just, you're so enamored and you love seeing your kids or grandkids get stuff and then they're, right? When they open stuff, you're more enamored with that. But still, hear me say this. Ask yourself, what am I longing for? Those online, what are you longing for? Every human heart longs for peace. But peace itself is a gift that only few experience. Only few of us. Why? Because we're looking for peace in all the wrong places and love in all the wrong places. But the gift everyone wants is peace. And that peace is really a person. The person of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And then the Bible says this. Look at verse 7. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Here's a Davidic covenant. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. Look at that. Aren't you glad that God holds everything together? He's holding everything together, saints. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This last clause, I would encourage you to underline it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In other words, God is saying, you don't have to worry about it. If you don't think it's going to happen, I know it's going to happen. It's going to happen in my timing. So let me ask you this question. The first peace that we're looking for, you and I, it has to be peace with God first. That means if you don't know Jesus, um, the Bible says that you're in war with him. There's a battle, enmity. Just You're at odds with God. It's a war. And I just want to encourage you with this, that there's a war you're not going to win. So it doesn't matter if you're an older gentleman here, younger, a child, and you go, man, I've never given my life to the Lord. This new birth of Jesus, man, I want this new birth to happen within my heart. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Yes, this season is about a, Jesus being born a baby, but it's more so about him being a conquering king. So today, I, Lord, I, I know, I sense it. I need to give my heart to the Lord. I've been the Lord or boss of my life. I want to give my life to you. And now basically, here's what you do. You ready for this? The first peace you need is peace with God. Because once you have the peace with God, you, you'll have the peace of God during sanctification. You say, Lord, I need you. I realize I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And you died in my place. You died in my place. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. Now come into my heart this morning. Save me today. In Jesus' name, amen.